Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with your WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Getting over is back to break down every damn thing that happened Monday night on Raw and this past Friday on SmackDown, and we have an absolutely loaded show with what I will probably call the best back-to-back episodes of WWE television in quite some time. We know SmackDown has been running at a killer pace recently. Raw has been seriously up and down. One week awful, one week very good. This past Monday night, the Silver King thought was great. But we have so much to talk about, as I mentioned, that we are going to get to all of that in a moment. Before we get there, a couple reminders. First, you gotta follow the show on Twitter. Hit us up at Getting Overcast. We tweet GIFs and videos and talk about wrestling all week long, but especially during the four major shows that we cover on this podcast. And do not forget to listen to Finn Balor. Stop being marks for yourselves and Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Every single time one of you leaves a five-star review helps our ranking and more people listen. And also don't forget to tell your friends about your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Now, we are going to get into the show momentarily. But first, need to welcome in vintage Chris Vanini, who you can follow on Twitter at Chris Vanini. And of course, you can follow me, the Silver King, personally at Silverstein Adam. Chris, we had a hell of a week. We are big football fans. College football was back kind of halfway a little bit. We're not even, we don't even have all the conferences playing this fall that are going to be playing. The NFL was back in a major way in week one. But I got to tell you what excited me the most, and I love doing this show, okay? And I love doing our instant analysis and all the special episodes. But we got about five days off in between taping after going at a torrential pace. I think I did like 12 episodes in three weeks. I was exhausted. I wasn't tired of wrestling, but I was just, it was really wearing on me. And I think as you can tell, it's Tuesday morning. I'm amped up. And maybe just because WWE was actually really good top to bottom this week. But I almost have a bit of a rekindling for wrestling that has come with the return of football. If you're listening to this pod, give Adam a hand. He really put in a hell of an effort the last few weeks. I was only on there maybe once, twice a week. Adam really uh, carried everything going on there. You did a lot, too, though. You did more than your normal allotment. I did. I I jumped in for some AEW stuff when when I can. But it's harder for all of us, especially now that football's happening and we have our our day job. So uh, good good for wrestling to get back on a normal schedule. And I got to say, I was out of football watching shape. Uh, I was exhausted (laughs) on Saturday. I was exhausted on Sunday. Uh, At least the Monday night games were terrible, and you guys should have been watching Raw anyway, because if you watch that Titans-Broncos game instead of Raw, then I I have questions. Well, I'll tell you, I did watch it, and I stayed up to watch the second half. Was that uh, a bad decision? You know, maybe I did enjoy uh, Goskowski missing three field goals or, or missing two, getting one blocked missing an extra point, and then hitting the game winner. That was fun. Also, I covered, which is always important. I went 7-2 and two against the spread in NFL this week. So anytime that you can do that, you're going to feel good. I also went 0-3 in fantasy, but we're not going to be really talking or uh, 
hanging on that per se. But look, uh, when you win bets and when football is back and you're a big football fan, I think life picks up. And I think in this time, look, we started this podcast not very much before we all got stuck home during this pandemic. So to get entertainment back in our lives in the form of sports, I'm not a huge NBA fan. I'm a Knicks fan. So because of that, like my love for the league is just it's been waning year after year. MLB, I, I like baseball, but it's it's tough to watch regular season baseball. And, you know, I like soccer, I like other sports, too. But football, also hockey, football is football. I, though, man. I'll, I'll say this. I did miss the end of Raw live. I had to flip over and watch the Dallas. Well, I had on the second screen, but I had to watch the Dallas Stars yeah. win in overtime to advance to the Stanley Cup final. That's cool. Uh, and then I went back and watched the end of Raw. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, hockey, it, not really my sport. Don't hate it. Uh, Stanley Cup, great. In now, Stanley Cup, empty arena. Maybe maybe not so great. But uh, football is football. That's how I, I think of it. And you know what? WWE, oftentimes, when the NFL season starts, when Raw gets that Monday night football competition. It steps up its game. And I think that's what we saw on Monday night. It's going to be really interesting to see when the ratings come out. Look, WWE has been falling pretty significantly during this entire pandemic. They've been consistently below 2 million. They did have a couple weeks around Thunderdome and SummerSlam where it picked back up. Last week was not good considering the NBA playoffs and what was happening in the news. Now you still have that plus Monday night football. So two games. So it covered the entire show. I don't really know what this rating is going to look like, but there's other people concerned about ratings. I don't really care that much. As long as USA Network is not going to drop this show off television, <laughs> then it doesn't really matter whether WWE does 1.85 or 1.72, as long as the product is good and improving. And Chris, I think that's what we saw this week from Raw in general, yep. a product that especially from last week and three weeks ago. So in between, it was a decent episode. But last week and three weeks ago, we largely trashed Raw. Top to bottom this week, we'll get into the main event momentarily. I thought this was a almost great episode of Raw on Monday night. Yeah, I think it was solid. There wasn't a lot of story advancement, but the matches they gave you and, and, and what they put out for just this show kind of in a vacuum were, were very, very good. That, I think that's the best way to say it. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't take many steps forward, but it wasn't a step backwards. I'm not sure I'm going to agree that there wasn't a lot of storyline advancement, especially when you consider the main event. But we will get to that momentarily because we are going to start with the main event. Speaking of football, a little false start there on the main event sound drop. And in the main event, we will talk about Raw soon, but we kind of need to start with SmackDown because. When we do this show on Tuesday, Friday does seem a, a ways away. Like you kind of forget some of the good and great things that happened Friday night on SmackDown. And we got to start with Roman Reigns, Jay Uso, and that main event with King Corbin and Sheamus because there was a lot of important developments going on. And, and Roman Reigns, his return becoming Universal Champion, is probably the top storyline in the company right now besides Sasha Banks and Bailey. That's been put on hold for a couple weeks while Banks is injured. Let's start again talking about this from a superficial standpoint. Reigns Pyro was, I thought, a really nice touch. It definitely improved his overall entrance, but I found it weird that Michael Cole announced him as a heel the same way he does as a face, welcoming the big dog, right? He does it with Sasha Banks too. He gets really excited to announce her as the legit boss. It's boss time. 
But when she's a heel, he should be less enthused to kind of do that. Also, Reigns continues to be wearing a shirt, this time a tank top, while in action. I had someone tweet at me. and it's a, It was like a Roman Reigns fan account. So it wasn't like a person with like a, a name. I mean, it's a person, but it's not someone who put their name on their Twitter account. They tweeted me that he had hernia surgery four or five years ago and therefore needs to wear the vest in action to protect himself. I don't think that's true. I mean, I, I believe he had hernia surgery. A lot of people have hernia surgery. I don't think he needs a vest five years later to protect himself. But it was clear that what he's wearing now is not a vest, or if it is, it's very thin underneath that T-shirt. So while I'm down for them selling the shirts, I still wonder what their ultimate goal will be. I'll mention it in a moment. You have Paul Heyman calling him the tribal chief. Uh, tribal chief. He has all these new tattoos. He looks massively built, like he just worked out all the entire time he was gone. So from a look perspective, it's imp- it's an improvement, don't get me wrong, but they got to sell this guy as a legit type of badass. I know that's a word that's thrown a- around a lot about wrestlers, but that's what this character is supposed to be. And if he's going to wreck everyone and leave in a vest or always wearing a shirt, it just seems a little strange, no? Yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping this isn't the end of the transformation, but I, I, I got to say I'm skeptical that that it is you know you mentioned you know they introduce him as a heel like excitedly and part of me is thinking well he hasn't exactly been a heel yet you know he beat up uh, the monster and in the fiend he hasn't actually done anything like super heelish yet and so maybe that's fair if if he beats down jay and completes a turn we'll get there but that might just be wishful thinking on my part this is i mean they rarely kind of slowly change somebody's appearance over time. So it's possible it could change. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just wishing that uh, as for I don't know about the vest. I mean, if, if he can't get hit there, I feel like wrestling is probably just <laughs> right. Something that should happen. I mean, right. he's gone, gone through tables and spears and all sorts of stuff. Thrown but, into an ambulance, thrown off things like he's yeah, major yeah. bumps. Yeah. yeah. But like a, a couple of weeks ago, I tried to compare Roman from making like the Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader turn where he completely changes the appearance. I want to see him with those new tattoos shirtless. We saw it in uh, the Fast and Furious movie he was in. Um, Right. I I hope it's more than just still wearing black and still wearing T-shirts eventually. Maybe he becomes a full on heel and we get that. But yeah, if he's going to be the tribal chief and all that stuff, really lean into it. Right. Lean into that. And and that's that's exactly what I'm saying. I'll give a. For that, Uh, I did find it interesting as we move on here that Paul Heyman kept referring to him as the tribal chief. I believe he's done it two or three times now. He also uses more eloquent language for Reigns than he did uh, for Brock Lesnar when he was his advocate. It makes me wonder whether they actually are going to weave some type of Samoan heritage thing further into the storyline, whether with his look or even with Reigns and the Usos eventually teaming up. Because you have to wonder, where is this storyline with Jey Uso getting this opportunity headed? And on the show, I did wish that Jay got a chance to speak a little bit more, considering this is actually his big moment yep. in a main event type of match with Reigns. But Baron Corbin and Sheamus both interrupted him uh, in that promo segment. So there were then three heels and one quasi face in the ring 
They make a tag team match. And Jay takes out both guys as Roman is standing there. And I'm like, well, why are they doing that? So they ended up basically paying it off because the cool part of that segment and the eventual match was Reigns, first of all, not being there for the start of the match. But then when he did come in, going an extreme deliberate type of slow motion with a don't give an F type of attitude the entire time. He did not move a muscle while Jey Uso took out Corbin and Sheamus after making the challenge. Then during the match when Jay needed him, he eventually made his way to the ring, tagged himself in, hit the spear, got the pin and the win. You also saw him ignoring Jay earlier in the show backstage and then looking down on him as Jay tried to raise his hand in the title as the show went off the air. The character work that they're doing with Roman Reigns has been a massive success. Couple that with the slight improvements that they've made in his look. And I just get the feeling like they are hitting on all cylinders with Roman Reigns, like Paul Heyman has his hand in the pot and he's invested in the success of this character. And I believe Paul even mentioned something about, you know, managing the Usos father um, back in the day. I believe it was in ECW, if memory serves. And or maybe it was in WCW. I'm forgetting. But uh, Paul Heyman did manage his father previously, the Usos father, I should say. And I love the idea of the Samoan bloodline becoming a group with, you know, Paul Heyman as the speaker, Roman Reigns as the figurehead, the tribal chief, and the Usos on that team. And everyone's a heel and they're kicking ass. And maybe they find another family member to come in and be a full faction. But I just I get the sense like something is happening along those lines where by the time we do get to Clash of Champions, Uso puts up a fight, Roman beats him in like 12 minutes, you know, something like that, and maybe spends the next couple of weeks turning him heel. It's going to be weird to see heel Roman actually start a match, I guess, for that Clash of Champions, considering his go-to right. move is yeah. to show up late now. <laughs> but no, everything about Roman since he's been back has been deliberate, from the contract and not signing it right away, to waiting for that, to not entering a match right away. Um, it's definitely a, a turn for the character in terms of how he's reacting. He's not just going on emotion and stuff like that. So that, that's been really cool to see. I, th- I think they're doing a, a great job with it. I love the idea of your Samoan stable. I know you talked about this last week. I, I hope they get there. Uh, if they do, I'm very curious to see how exactly they do it. But, but speaking of Paul Heyman talking about, you know, the family and stuff like that, it wasn't long ago that Paul made some questionable comments about the the family back when Brock and uh, I think it was when Brock and Roman were feuding and oh, yeah. talking about, talking about a, a bone and a nose and stuff like that. So uh, I, I'm curious if they address that at all or if they try to kind of spin that into this, if they lean more toward the Samoan stuff or just completely forget it entirely. But but as I had heard that, that popped into my mind from that promo and probably, you- probably a couple years back. Are you talking about in kayfabe? Yes. Okay, because it was, I mean, he doesn't, you know, when he says things like that. He, no, no, right, no, I'm saying He has, in real life, major respect for that family. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just making sure. No, I was just clarifying. I wasn't sure what you were saying. Um, I actually had forgotten that I pitched the Samoan stable last week, so I thought I was kind of being unique mentioning it again, but that's fine. Okay, I, I guess I did. That's how much I like it. That's how much everyone has wanted it to happen. The Samoan bloodline, the bloodline. It, it's been something that a ton of fans have wanted for a very long time. And when we do get the taste of it, when we get Roman standing next to Jay or all three of them teaming up because 
Romans being outnumbered five to one in a feud or something like that. It always comes through and they work great together. So why not do that now as heels where you have two factions now on Raw? Finally, like we got factions, dude. It's happening, right? And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Give me some give me some meat on SmackDown. Give me, give me some of that meat on meat action. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. I don't want them to be delicate, man. I want Roman Reigns and the Usos kicking some ass. And I hope Jimmy's back soon. Um, but yeah, this is just exciting. I, I want this to happen. And I, I thought the way that they told this story and have been telling this story for the last two weeks on SmackDown is really smart. Makes me excited to see what they are going to do in the remaining weeks before we get to Clash of Champions. Yep, yep. I, I think it's... I, I've, I've liked it so far. I like when they throw somebody new into a championship feud. I, Jey yeah. Uso being in this is just really fun. It feels fresh. And, and a lot of what SmackDown has been doing just feels... It feels a little bit different. So this is another one of those. And speaking of fresh, speaking of factions, and speaking of new people going into championship feuds, it's an incredible transition over to Raw, where we saw a lot of development, not just with Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee, but with Retribution as well. This thing weaved itself and contorted itself throughout the entire show you, I did not think in a million years the way that Retribution would make its biggest mark yet would be with the WWE champion and with Keith Lee. I don't know where it's going to go, man, but there are so, there is so much to talk about, so many levels to this. I'm going to go start to finish, and we're going to break it down best we can. First of all, I want to say this before we get into any of this. You guys know this is nitpick, yes, superficial stuff. The opening to Raw was really weird. It was actually the worst part of the entire show, somehow. The going from the high energy intro and that really good theme music that they have to the muted, like thunder gimmick of the Thunderdome. Like, we know it's the Thunderdome. You don't need to play into it. Just call it the Thunderdome. Move on with your opening pyro. The pyro they had been doing for Raw and for SmackDown has been great, but the stupid Thunderdome thunder thing takes me out of it. I'm not sure if you had thoughts on that, but. I also hate, and you can address one or both of these, when a wrestler's music hits, he walks down to the ring to open the show, you get really excited to see them. And then before they're even able to speak, they air like a three-minute promo package. I don't, I'm not turning into Raw for you to immediately start the show with something that you've already basically aired on Twitter or I can see on your social media or your website. I want to see this guy talk. At least give Drew like... 30 seconds of speaking before he says, in case anyone forgot, this is what happened last week. If you're trying to steal viewers from Monday Night Football, A, don't start your show without pyro. B, maybe they did that because Drew was coming out and he had pyro, so they didn't want to go back to back. I don't know. But B, don't have your champion come to the ring and then cut to a, a, a video package. Just 0. 0.0. I, I, there it is. 0. 0.0. Just a, a, the wrong way to open a show in your face trying to go up against Monday Night Football. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. I, the in-your-face Raw, like, was that, did I miss that, or was that new this week? They mentioned it Friday night. It was how they were promoting Raw. I, I'm I don't sorry. even know what it means. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. Means. I really tried to find, so the way I cut, like, clips, the way I cut these drops is, like, I find videos that have already been cut, and then I, I rip the audio from them. I, I don't really have a great way to do it myself from a recording or a broadcast. 
and no one taped the In Your Face Raw promos. So I couldn't grab the In Your Face sound drop. I probably should have gotten a different one, like another thing that has used In Your Face, like from pop culture or something. But so I don't have an In Your Face drop. I'm sorry. I know I failed. It's my fault. But yeah, they, they started doing it Friday. I, ha- I hope it's one week. I, I really hope they don't keep doing it. It's what, what what does it mean? They didn't change it. Doesn't anything, right? It doesn't mean it anything. It doesn't mean anything. Like who's all of a sudden going to watch because it's in your face? I don't know. I'm watching it, it with nothing. my eyes. It's always it, amazing. <laughs> it literally means nothing. But yeah, no, that that's not that's not how you start out a show against uh, Monday Night Football, and and we can get into other changes as soon as you, we start talking about Drew here. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know what? I'm going to load it while we're talking. Let's see what happens here. All right, there you go. There's in your face. Okay, from the hangover. I got something for you. Um, that, that's quick thinking right there. But anyway, all right, let's get into the show. Let's talk about Raw. We got McIntyre coming out there. Uh, cutting a promo was okay. You know, not, nothing special. But proposing an ambulance match with Randy Orton for Clash of Champions. I find this interesting because the last ambulance match that we had was Roman Reigns against Braun Strowman from Great Balls of Fire 2017, a funny pay-per-view name, but man, that thing over-delivered, and that match rocked, if you remember. This makes a lot of sense. That way, McIntyre can either drop the title or Orton can lose a second time, but neither of them have to be pinned in order for it to happen. So I thought this was a very smart Interesting and intriguing, meaning I want to now see this match even more. Stipulation for McIntyre Orton too. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. Um, they added a a sword shear to the beginning of Drew's. Been there? Did you catch that? Been, it's there. been there? Yeah, a couple months. I, we talked, we I, talked I ne- about it. Maybe we did. I just I never noticed it because I remembered I had said couple weeks back that Drew's he, Drew's theme always felt like a more of a heel theme the way it starts out slowly so I thought they had just added the sword to make it a little more face-ish my brother texted me it was the first time he'd heard it too so no I, no I, 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 I mentioned that I mentioned that the very first week I mean this it's been at least like I mean at least a month probably two I would say I don't, I don't know why I don't know why I missed yeah. it then, but uh that was my only reaction to that An ambulance match should should be good should be fine I, I'm still not fully I'm not 100% in on this feud yet. It's been good. It just it hasn't 100% grabbed me yet for whatever reason. And maybe this match will maybe this match will do it. I think it's because Raw those weeks largely sucked. I mean, there were two two of the last three weeks. Sorry, three two of the last four weeks, the odd weeks if you want to call them. It's been really bad. And the way they booked this feud with Orton, you have to remember with McIntyre. I'm sorry immediately giving a rematch without it even being requested. And then Orton just punt kicks him three times. And we don't learn until the following week, his motivations for doing that. It's just been sloppy. And the insertion of Keith Lee, it's great that Keith Lee is getting these opportunities, but it's kind of ruining the heat between McIntyre and Orton individually. And that actually continued when Adam Pierce came out and made a stipulation where if Keith Lee beat McIntyre, he would join the match or replace Orton if Orton was unable to compete. Then McIntyre remarks, who put you in charge? Which I think is a question everyone's been asking. So that's pretty funny. And then later in the show, they both cut some pretty lackluster promos, they being McIntyre and Keith Lee. So at that point, I'm kind of just like, meh, you know, I'm not really overly excited about it. 
at least they had those brawls backstage. Those were pretty cool. And those were pretty brutal as well. And it explained why there was animosity between the two. Um, but if they're not going to pay that off next week, I guess, by adding Lee, and we'll talk about their match in a moment, but by adding Lee to the triple, to the ambulance match and making it a triple threat, then ultimately what's the point of this entire thing? Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's the biggest question obviously coming out of it is, is what is this? Oh, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know, like you're right that Keith Lee being in this has hurt the heat between Drew and Randy, but it has made it more interesting to me because Keith Lee is really interesting. So I, I think it was weird how they set it up where if Keith Lee wins, maybe he gets a title shot because then it's like, well, the stakes, the stakes might not be real in this match we're about to watch later in the show. So that that whole thing felt a little weird. But um, oh, overall, I'm OK with Keith Lee being in it. I just hope they're not changing plans that they originally had for him because it does feel a little bit kind of changing things by the week. Yeah, and I don't know if it is or not. Like, this could just right. be a little bit of sloppy booking. So I don't want to criticize it too much. They have also done a really good job protecting Keith Lee because mm -hmm. he's only lost... I mean, I think he's only lost once. And when he did, he wasn't the one who took the fall, if memory serves. Or or he was going to lose, but McIntyre interfered. Yeah, right? there, well, there, there was the... Um, wasn't it that triple threat? Yeah, but yeah, he didn't. He didn't lose though, did he? Yeah, he wasn't the one pinned. Right. It was. Right, it was. Right. Uh, it, it was Randy Keith and um, shoot, Rollins. Well, Rollins. Rollins, Rollins, Rollins yeah. took the fall. So yeah. right. So so Lee's lost, but he hasn't taken any pinfalls. He does have a win over Randy Orton, and in, and then uh, in the main event on Monday night, I thought it was successfully booked because McIntyre really put Lee over from the standpoint yep. of Lee being a worthy challenger to him throughout the match. Every piece of offense was combated with defense and vice versa the other way. And then after that double crossbody, Retribution comes in, attacks them 12 to 2. The shaky camera parts were ridiculous. We know this. It's <laughs> it's actually it's actually unnecessary because there's so much chaos that just by the cuts of the camera, you're succeeding in that. And that's in a situation where the camera cuts I'm okay with because you want to see as much of the action as possible. But the shaky cam is ridiculous. What happens is there, instead of 12 retribution guys, are there 13 and one of them is grabbing the camera or like grabbing the cameraman by the shoulders and trying to shake him off of it? Like what is the actual like thought process of that happening? But other than the shaky cam, I did think it was really good. And then you have Hurt Business. We'll talk about well, it. Wait, 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 hold on. Before we get to them, let me, um, my thought on the camera sure. for, for last night was, actually different. I thought it was the cuts that were the biggest problem because you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't focus on what was going on because as soon as you're trying to adjust to the shakiness, they cut again and then you're trying to you're trying to reorient yourself, figure out where you are watching this again. So they're both problems and they've been a problem for a long time. I think it was a couple of years ago there was that clip of somebody from the crowd uh, I think it was Rollins and Ambrose were fighting and you saw the camera guy like just lifting his head up and down, up and down, up and down. As he right, 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 right. Oh, it and, was um, someone was doing a chair shot. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and so I, but I thought the cuts were the biggest problem last night because you couldn't figure out where you were with with everything that was going on They're they're, they're So I, I know you you didn't seem to mind the cuts as much, but that was that was my biggest issue, actually, more than the shaky cam itself. Either way, here's here's the deal. I think we'll agree on this. 
choose one. Yes. Okay. You don't really need either, or at least you don't need either in the amount or the quantity in which they're being used. Pick one. All right. You want to give me shaky cam and reduced cuts? Fine. You want to give me more cuts, but no shaky cam or greatly reduced shaky cam? Fine. You can't have both. That's it. Yeah. Pick I like, I get because you don't have fans. You don't have a lot of motion necessarily. Oh, they would do this with fans. It. They would but they, this exactly. With that's the problem. They would do it with fans. All right. Anyway, so you have them attack. You have retribution attack. And they beat the shit out of Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee. So credit for that. And then you have her business come out and fulfill their earlier backstage promise to Adam Pierce that they would serve as some form of security because the squad that Pierce hires apparently on Friday is way better than the one he hires on Monday nights. Um, and her business comes out. They stood up to retribution uh, by brawling with them. It was really cool to see them all in like three P suits and slowly and deliberately kind of shedding the layers and uh, taking their time, kind of like Naito does in new Japan for those who watch uh, and then getting to brawling. And it was interesting to me because I was, as I was writing our rundown and I was talking about the hurt business stuff earlier in the show, I was saying, you know, it's interesting that they're willing to step up as security and they're a heel faction that kind of puts retribution as faces and given the gimmick that we're going to talk about a little bit regarding retribution, maybe that makes sense that they're a face faction. But then you have them beat the crap out of the Hurt Business and the two biggest faces maybe on the brand, you can say right now, Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee, save the heels from them. So they're really in this interesting area of retribution where they're tweeners. They can maybe be heels against faces and faces against heels, or maybe they're just completely out for themselves and it's up to you, the fan, to determine whether you like them or not. And you know what? That's pretty cool. You know, that's something different that WWE usually does not give fans the option of doing. They try to force people in a direction. We can like Becky Lynch while they're trying to turn her heel and change their booking. But it doesn't seem like they're trying to force retribution down our throats in terms of a heel or face direction. As I said, the final moment there was McIntyre and Lee with the Tope cannonballs, which were awesome. I mean, these guys, what, combined 600 pounds, 550 pounds combined, doing two Tope cannonballs, taking out 14 dudes. It was crazy. They stared each other down as they slowly stood up as the show went to black. This was a hot ending to Raw. We set it with the Dominic stuff and the cane, the caning of Murphy. That was hot last week with Rey Mysterio. My God, they have closed incredibly well the last two weeks. Man, I popped huge when the Hurt Business came out. And not, it didn't run out to go save them. They ran, they walked out, take off their suits, walk, essentially walk down the ramp. I thought that was awesome. The only other thing I would have done was, I wish they were using MVP's music, uh, MVP's theme instead of I know uh, what, what they're using right now for the Hurt Business. But... I, I, I disagree. I don't think Retribution is a, a tweener here. I think it was simple. The Hurt Business said that they would be security if they got paid. And it seems like they got paid to be security. And they just followed through on it. And it was all to just set up a big moment. I, I'm not, you know, they also didn't attack the Hurt Business later. They only attacked Keith Lee and uh, 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 Drew McIntyre. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not on board yet with the idea that Retribution is a, a tweener faction i think it was more just the hurt business doing something for the money and and they 
and maybe for maybe for one night they were quasi faces in a certain segment. But I that was a hot ending. Absolutely. Hundred percent. Um, you didn't have commentary out there and it's just madness going on outside of the shaky cams. You had just a lot of big dudes just banging around in there, slapping meat and awesome, awesome ending. It was, uh, it was just, it was hot. It made sense. It brought multiple storylines together. You know, I think we both probably thought I'm speaking for you. We didn't talk about it. Um, we both probably thought that Keith Orton, uh, Keith Orton, <laughs> Randy Orton was going to interfere at the end here. Why mm-hmm. did I see Keith Orton? That's so Rand, weird. Rand, it's Randall Keith Orton, right? Oh, it is Randall Keith Orton. But still, I wouldn't think of that. Like, I wouldn't have said it that way. Anyway, um, well, we I think I think we both thought that Randall Keith Orton would eventually interfere. And maybe that would either lead to a triple threat or it would give Keith Lee at least some reason to remain mad at Randy Orton. Whatever the case, we didn't get it. And they kept Randy Orton home, and I thought that was good. It's always nice to get a break from someone for one week, right? And I'm sure those guys like having a break as well. But yeah, this was totally successful. And look, while we're praising Retribution, I got to say, man, the promo that they cut earlier in the show was really good too. And I have it for you right now. So let's listen to that. Listen up to you and all the other so-called superstars. We are the product of empty promises, the result of lies, greed, and betrayal. We once trusted, but now we walk with eyes wide open. We see what you are. Waste. Scrap. Byproduct. When you show loyalty to an entity that casts people aside like garbage, you become garbage. When you sell your soul to a corrupt machine, you become corrupt. Like you, we once believed that our time at a performance center would lead us to fame and wealth. Unlike you, we refuse to suck up to an entire machine. I mean, look, I'm not going to hit the siren here, but this is the best thing we've gotten from them yet, especially when you couple it with what happened in the main event. We got clarity on their mission, clarity on their goals. I said a couple of weeks ago on the show when I was going on my rants about everything from Demi Burnett to the 24-7 title to Retribution to Raw Underground, I said about Retribution, add some meat to this group, right? Add a logo, have them cut some promos, tell us what they're about, define their members. And you know what they've done the last two weeks? Literally all of those things. <laughs> they gave us a logo. There's some definition to the group. We It's clear that there's five members, but the entire goal of it, th- those are the five leaders. But the goal, the point is that they have other people that have their backs and believe in the same stuff as them. That explains why some weeks we see five, other weeks we see 12 or in other segments. It it made sense. We clearly know who the five people are now. We have Dominic Dijakovic, Dio Madden, Shane Thorne, Mia Yim, and Mercedes Martinez. Yeah, they're still hidden behind masks. I like NXT. I know exactly who those five people are. So, but they did it without actually telling us, without having them unmask themselves. This was great. I mean, it, it was it was better. It, it was such a massive improvement on what retribution had been that maybe I'm grading it on a curve, man, but I'm excited about it. It's a faction. The motivation makes a lot of sense that they are all people from the Performance Center and NXT who maybe didn't get or haven't gotten the opportunities. Mia Yim had been there forever. Shane Thorne, 
basically even got called up and then got pushed back, but he had been there forever. Madden got the chance on Raw. Brock Lesnar kicked his ass. He never saw him again. Mercedes Martinez is a journey woman, so she hasn't really had a lot of time in NXT, but it fits. Dijakovic, okay, maybe a little bit less true there. He's been, you know, had multiple championship opportunities in NXT and got called up relatively quickly. But regardless, it makes total sense, man. And I don't know, maybe I'm just overly positive today. This totally worked for me. For the record, Adam said Dijakovic correctly on the first attempt there. We did yeah. not need to change that. It was. I usually uh, cut it out when I mess up. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know that. I, I, I think it was a good step forward. I'm not familiar with all of those people from NXT, but based on what you said, I think they need to lay out those exact stories when they figure out who they are officially. Yes. Yes. Um, we, we can't just say, oh, they're NXT people who want a bigger chance. No, we need this specific example of the guy getting beat up by Brock Lesnar or someone who was called up and sent back down. You know, we need those specific details so we connect to these people as people and not just a generic group who wants more uh more uh an, another chance so um yeah it, it was a good solid step i guess it makes sense now why sometimes they have a bunch of people sometimes they don't curious what that means long term once they're no longer in orlando but uh yeah it, it you know we said like two three weeks ago they they gotta move forward here with retribution and figure out what they're doing and now they are so it's good I think so as well. I do have a couple DMs here. Let's get to those. First from Adam McMongle at Adam Mc314. So everyone from Retribution is laid out. Why isn't anyone attempting to unmask them to show who has been destroying Raw and SmackDown for months? Uh, everyone was dead. <laughs> I mean, that's the answer. Like Raw went off the air and, um, you know, they had just gotten laid out by Keith Lee and... Drew McIntyre. So I'm not really sure there was time to do that, but I do agree if the show had gone on five minutes longer, then yeah, that would have made sense. But there's also 12 of them. So who do you start with? I don't know. Sometimes you just have to suspend disbelief. You agree? No, yeah. You got to end with just madness going on because that, that's the only way it leaves you being like, oh man, I can't wait to see what happens next week. And yeah. also and also like revealing Dijakovic, you're like, oh, like like let's be honest, the the, the five people aren't they're not going to break the internet, right? Like, it's not like one of them is CM Punk. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you want that final moment to be exciting. And I think showing Shane Thorne under a mask isn't going to be that exciting. I yeah. have another one. Go ahead, Yeah, sorry. and when that moment comes, it's either got to be in a set promo where these people explain themselves or you have Michael Cole tell us who they are. Because if we don't know who they are, there's no commentary. You can't really do that. Right, and, and you do something along the lines of, like, they all do it together. Like, they beat the crap out of someone they all do it together. They grab a mic. We are retribution, blah, blah, blah. You move on. Uh, we have another one from Atish Tawari at Atish911. In the past 20 years, how high do you rank Drew McIntyre as WWE champion? Start with you. Just just in general, how I feel about him? I get, well, how high do you rank him as champion? Uh, well, I guess, how good of a job do you think he's doing right now compared I to all of the champions since 2000, he's asking us. I mean, it's, I, I, it's a lot of people. I've, I've, I have enjoyed it. I, I, I've really liked what he's doing. I, I, it's hard to rate because he doesn't have the crowd. And, and right. that's just, you know, I, I think if he did, I think he'd be so over if he had that crowd right now. I think he's far better than, than Face Rollins was. I, I like it more than Brock because he's actually around. The Roman stuff is always weird. Um, I, I think he's done a great job as a face champion 
who does who who isn't stupid and who who is aggressive and and makes things happen for himself and doesn't just wait for something to happen to him. I really like the plan they've had for him. It's been it's just been so unfortunate that he hasn't had the crowd next to him because you saw that Royal Rumble. People were into him and, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold on to the title until fans come back, but uh, he had he's he's been he's been great. All things considered, he's not going to hold on to the title until fans come back because we don't know when the hell fans are going to be able to come back to indoor uh, wrestling now, unless WWE is able to start doing shows at outdoor venues, which I wouldn't put past them, by the way. Um, I don't know when that'll happen. I'll to paraphrase Gary, you know, Coke, I'll say better than most. It's better than most. Right. Uh, he's better than Roman Reigns was as champion. Better than Jinder Mahal. He's been a better champion during this reign than Randy Orton had been previously as WWE champion. He is doing a great job as WWE champion to really discuss it over a 20 year period. I would have to have the list in front of me. Right. But he's definitely top 50% and maybe even top third. I think I would go without really looking at the list. He has been better as a WWE champion selling the gravitas of the WWE championship than a large number of people who have held that title again, including Roman Reigns. And a big part of that is coming out in street clothes almost every week. That's huge, man. The, you the love title, those street clothes. You look great in street clothes, and the title looks great with street clothes. It does. Because it looks important, just like just like just like it looks good wearing a suit. Like the, the United States championship looks great. It looks incredible around Lashley's waist with a suit on. Or over his shoulder, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say. Titles look better with suits because these champions should be professionals. You don't always have to wear them, but in the right circumstances, it works. Asuka, when she was wearing suits in NXT, it really worked. Couldn't you see Sonya Deville in like that new look that she has with a SmackDown Women's Championship on her shoulder? Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. Totally see it, right? Can you see that with Lana's getup? No, not really. You know what I mean? It's, it, it, it's a totally different impact the way someone looks with holding the title. And I think that's a really good point. Uh, there's a lot left. Let's quickly wrap up here on the Hurt Business and all this stuff. We had Cedric Alexander beat Ricochet here. And I think it was the first moment where we saw the Hurt Business together as a faction. And you said, yeah, like they're they're complete now. Cedric does add something to them. That was missing, that young, hungry go-getter. Everyone else there relatively is old. I mean, I think they're all on the other side of 40, except Cedric Alexander. So having that young guy that they're bringing up, I think is really good. The promos here were fine. Actually, I want to give a little bit more credit to Ricochet than that because he struggles with promos. This was very good on a curve for Ricochet. The match was also really good. Alexander had to win as a new faction member and Ricochet sold the hell out of that lumbar check, which is on its own a great finisher. He sold it like death. That was a Dolph Ziggler level sell to that finisher. And I know people hate seeing Ricochet lose. No one hates it more than me. But this was a good piece of business, no pun intended, all things considered. Um, and I think it got Cedric Alexander over, which is the current point of the storyline. And then later in the show, we saw Bobby Lashley squash Eric with the hurt lock. Ivar had surgery on his neck, so he will be out uh, for a bit of time. So what did you think about these things? Yeah, I mean, the lumbar check is a tough move to take and sell just in physically, it always seems like. So, you know, not surprised that Ricochet, of all people, can make that look great. Yeah, no, it, it, this was pretty simple. Like, this is an example of what I said where 
it wasn't necessarily a step forward, but it, it was more an establishment of something that needed to happen. Uh, and, you know, now we've established Cedric Alexander in the Hurt Business and, and, and where they stand. And, you know, Ricochet and Apollo are still just kind of hanging around the outside a little bit. So it, it was fine. It, it, it's what it needed to be. All righty. Now let's move on and discuss everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown over the last few days. We're going to bounce back and forth between the shows. I need to start off with my main event of the week. And my main event of the week was the new character introduced to the Firefly Funhouse. This was short, but freaking hysterical. This was the Firefly Funhouse getting back to basics. It was smart and hilarious. Wobbly walrus as Bray Wyatt's incarnation of Paul Heyman. (laughs) Wyatt's reaction to him as the special advisor to the Funhouse standing next to the boss character who fired him from Raw as executive director and really the injection of the boss into the entire thing was absolutely brilliant. I cannot remember, and I tweeted this during SmackDown, I cannot remember the last time I watched any wrestling product and gutturally, legitimately cackled and (laughs) laughed out loud. I was laughing my ass off at this segment. Home run, grand slam for Bray Wyatt and for everyone on SmackDown. I cannot wait for more Wobbly Walrus and the Firefly Funhouse. 100%. That was the best Firefly Funhouse in a very long time. And, and Bray Bray does such a good job of making you buy into this thing. He, he is really talented. We know he's a good promo, but he's really talented as just, I mean, an actor, really, is, is how to say it. And, and is, you know... Yeah. The, the, the Pasquale, uh, the, the parrot deal, um, just that it was a great bit. Like, it, you know, we're trying to figure out how they're transitioning Bray away from the title into something else. But they're also acknowledging that they're doing that as well. And I, I think that's you appreciate that as a fan. Uh, there's a lot of like wink winks in that whole segment. And, and yeah, that that's designed for for the smart fans and stuff like that. And. I, I think it was just really well done, well executed, well thought out. And they, it, it, it tells me that they do have a plan for Bray. That's something that's not the title. The Funhouse also felt full again because there was more stuff on the walls. It felt like more of a setting. If you remember when they first taped those like six or seven versions of it before they knew they were going to continue doing it, it was more than just a blue room. A lot of times recently it had been a single camera shot with Bray yeah. just standing there they, they expanded it a little bit and, and there was life to the entire thing. And it's so weird to analyze it and, and break it down that way. But it's true. It just felt like thought and care is given to it. And that's what we want from all for, forms of entertainment. When you watch a television show and you see a second season that really disappoints you, you're like, man, what were they thinking? It's almost like they didn't plan ahead. Bray Wyatt, man, he plans ahead and he thinks things through. And as the boss would say, man, this was such good shit. It was such good shit. Moving on, we had a steel cage match on Raw. Seth Rollins defeating Dominic Mysterio. Oh boy, dude. I mean, the stuff with Rollins and Murphy backstage was fantastic. We saw Rollins welcome Murphy back into the fold, but at the same time kind of keep him at arm's length because he had recently screwed up. It speaks to Rollins' I guess, insanity, and it gives Murphy further reason to eventually turn on him. Then we get to the match, and that thing was damn good. 
Dominic continues to be incredibly impressive. The spot with Murphy accidentally slamming the door on Rollins was really solid. And then you have basically Dominic do a huge frog splash off the top and a fall that actually nearly got me. I thought that was going to be the end of the match, despite the fact that I don't think Dominic should be pinning Seth Rollins. So they, they did get me on the false finish there. And then we got the superplex Falcon Arrow with Rollins dragging Dominic down off the cage. I was glad to see them give Rollins the decisive finish after that with two stomps, because despite how good Dominic has been, it should not have looked too close in the end. Then after the match, we get Rollins basically not letting Murphy's mistake go, throwing him into the cage. This was really well booked. Even so far as Rollins then Rollins then goes up to Ray's wife, shits on Dominic verbally and says, <laughs> a hell of a job you did. Hope she turns out better, referring to Ray Mysterio's daughter. Then the daughter, Aaliyah, goes and checks on Buddy Murphy and grabs his arm as Rollins walked off without a care in the world. Man, this whole thing was awesome. Uh, Dominic Mysterio has, and you know what? To some degree, Aaliyah Mysterio has <laughs> as well. She played her role great, as did his wife. I don't know her name, unfortunately, but A+, plus, just right across the board, perfectly booked match, perfectly booked segment. So when I saw this advertised at the beginning of the show, I was just like, man, why are we still doing the Mysterios versus Seth Rollins? I thought we ended this at SummerSlam. I thought we ended this in, in the following weeks, and we're still doing this. Why? But just like last week with this street fight, they made it work. It, Like you said, it was a great match. Dominic continues to be incredible every time we see him. He is a natural at this, and I don't even know how many time, more times I can just say that. And, and you know, I guess we're... Where Seth versus Murphy appears to maybe be the next step here. Uh, I, I still would like to see the Mysterios as a tag team if Ray's not injured or if he's healthy to do something like that. But I, I can't hate on this. It was great. It, it, it was great all around. They just keep adding Mysterios to this to this story and dragging it on. But it's it's still working. It, it, it worked. You know what? The more Mysterios, the better. That's what I say at this point. And there's a, on WWE Network, there's the day of, I believe, SummerSlam. And it follows basically, it's really all about Dominic Mysterio. There's also some Sonya Deville in there as well. But it's Dominic Mysterio's first match. It's about 20 minutes, totally worthwhile watch. He has these guys respect in the locker room, man. And mm -hmm. Ray actually spoke to what we talked about on the show, which is, hey, he took all those kendo stick shots and really got bloodied up. He didn't do it out of, you know, you know, guys basically in the locker room saying he needed to some form of hazing or anything like that. He did it on his own to prove that to them, to say, hey, look, I am part of this fraternity and I want your respect. And Ray spoke to that. He's like, look, he didn't have to do that. Right. But he Ray's like, I'm so proud that he did. It shows me that he really does want to do this. And they were talking about Ray basically putting Neosporin on his back and Dominic wearing a sweater on the flight and it reopening the wounds as he was flying Ooh. on the flight. Like, that was brutal, right? So yeah, you have to give credit where it's due, man. Dominic Mysterio, 23 years old. Promo work, of course, needs a little work. In ring, yes. Still needs some work in ring as well. He's putting on an incredible string of matches. And, you know, we, we praised... Ronda Rousey, we praised Kurt Angle 
for having the best debuts in WWE history. I mean, Dominic's not going to win a title and go on a, a year-long title reign like Rousey, and, and he's not going to do some of the stuff Kurt Angle did, and, and he's certainly not being asked. There's not as much being put on his plate as there was either of those two. But when it all is said and done, if he is with the company on main roster television for a year, and you have to realize by this point, it's already been like five months, or you know, he's been wrestling for, I guess, two and a half, but you know, five months overall. This may go down as one of the best debuts in WWE history. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like this before. You know, they gave Dominic Mysterio, Mysterio the longest match at SummerSlam. Yeah. That, ma- that match between him and Seth. That was his first singles match. Is that correct? I think it was. SummerSlam. I believe it was. And by the way, just to add before you continue, I think this was the longest match on Raw as well. Yeah. So, I mean, like, they trust him 100%. And, and, it's yeah, it's hard to compare because, you know, Kurt Angle was winning titles within a year. Ronda Rousey, you know, was WrestleMania type deal. It's th- these are unique situations. Dominic Mysterio probably doesn't get these opportunities if we have a full available roster and everything is normal. But he he you can't he, he could not do any more than he's been doing. I mean, sure, it can be better on the promo stuff. But what what they're putting on his plate and he is delivering Every single time, every single time. I agree. And I do want this eventually to end. And I do want him in NXT because while it's great having him on Raw and there's no reason, really, there's no reason he can't continue on Raw right now and just become a superstar and just be on the main roster, Uh, especially as long as his dad's there. If Ray comes back, beats Rollins, and they become a tag team and want to go in that direction, I'm fine with it. But as a single star, eventually... He's going to need to separate from Ray. And I think the best way they can do it as of now is to probably put him in NXT and just let him grow, develop his own persona, be Prince Mysterio. They've talked about him doing that. Maybe don a mask and get reinvented. Maybe have him even join Legato del Fantasma as an option. There's a lot of things they can do. But the prospects long-term for Dominic Mysterio are as high as anyone in the company. As of now, my expectation is he will win a world championship in WWE. You know, if you're trying to compare him to, you know, known people they have in NXT, you know, how do you compare him to an Adam Cole or something like that? I I, I don't know in terms of where you put him on the ranking. He's 23. He's 23. Right, but right. But I, so I don't know where you would necessarily rank him on the prospects like this was MLB or something like that. Oh, but, okay. um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, I, it's, I, I wouldn't bet against it. I, I guess is what I'd say. I'm not going to say he's not going to win it. Um, but yeah, there, there's still a lot more to go and he has plenty of time to get it done. September 15th, 2020, the silver King is saying Dominic Mysterio will be a world champion in WWE. Just book that. And we'll come back to it. Someone remember, write it down. We'll go on. Uh, Let's move on back to SmackDown. Bailey ripping Sasha Banks, a new one. The video package that they showed, I thought was fantastic. Bailey's promo work was okay. Not her strongest suit. And this one wasn't amazing. But the context that she believed Sasha Banks was the one pretending to be her best friend while only using her. While Bailey was actually doing the exact same thing certainly made a lot of sense. It was a bit of a letdown considering how strong and hot it was last week. And I really don't love that they're advertising Sasha Banks 
being back on SmackDown this Friday. But as long as she's either there via satellite or shows up like in a wheelchair with a neck brace and maybe Bailey throws her off the stage or, you know, hurts her backstage or something like that. As long as they do something like that, I'm okay with it. But after the beating she took of Sasha Banks, two weeks later walks down to the ring with maybe some like makeup cuts on her body. That's not going to work for me. Yeah, that that was my reaction to seeing that Sasha is going to be back. And shoot, they were advertising Sasha Banks was going to be back during college football games on on Saturday. Yep. And and then they may have I, they may have during the NFL as well. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, so it, it's got to be it can't be Sasha just walking down, cutting a promo like you, you, you got to you got to sell. So I'm going to be really disappointed if they do something. Otherwise, the Bailey promo, it was OK. There, there were times it dragged a little. And, and but she I, I like that she leaned into the heel part of it. She's not trying to explain herself by saying, you know, I felt this way or. Mm-hmm. And then she says, no, I, I did. I did feel good doing this to Sasha. I she wasn't my friend. I, I'm the one who played her, blah, blah, blah. That's when Bailey's been best as a promo over this whole run is when she goes farther. She leans into all this stuff and doesn't try to weasel her way out of it or anything like that. So. Uh, it, it came around. It was it was pretty good. Um, it's always tough cutting these kinds of promos when you don't have crowds. I, I will say they do appear to be getting better with yes. the fake yeah. crowd audio during promos. When, when, when Jey Uso was talking, they brought the volume down so you could hear him. Uh, so they seem to be getting better at that as well. Cedric, too. Um, they brought it down for Cedric. I think overall they've brought down the audio during the promos, which is a huge improvement. The backstage stuff, I'm not sure. I'd have to really go back and look at the Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee segment to see if they brought it down then. The one thing I will say is actually during some of the matches, I don't know if there's enough audio. During the Drew McIntyre-Keith Lee match, there were some moments where it was quiet and it was Mm -hmm. very stark when you have two guys beating the hell out of each other for it to be quiet when you have the audio capabilities that they now have. And, And on that note... Uh, I'll let you kind of answer this as well. The Thunderdome for me has faded. Like it's there. I see action and movement in the background replicating fans. It doesn't distract me anymore. It adds mm. to it adds to the the atmosphere. I really think they hit a home run with the Thunderdome. Like is it is it 10 out of 10 perfect? No, right? Maybe there's a few too too many lasers for some people, but there's a lot more pyro. It's exciting. It feels energetic. And it is a huge night day improvement over the performance center. Yeah, it generally feels like we're back to regular in stadium wrestling. It's all the same camera angles and all, all that kind of stuff, um, it, which is a huge step up from what they were doing at, at the performance center. So I, I probably give it like a nine out of 10. It, it needed yeah. to be what it was um, at this point. Yeah, it's not some amazing thing when you see it every time, but it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to feel like things are back to normal a little bit. And and they, they pretty much do when I, when I watch it. I agree. The only thing left, I think, is if you get everyone on a unified background, just like the NBA does, if you create chairbacks or something like that and get everyone's face and body and seats and just make that replicated across, I think it would be slightly better, less distracting because a lot of it's white in the background, you know, white and, and yeah. tans because those are the colors of people's walls. And that is makes it distracting for me. But other than that, 
it's just really good. And it, I haven't really seen any reports of some of the bad things that we're getting through over the last couple of weeks. So that's a positive as well. So good on them for kind of knocking all that down. Now well, one move, one, one uh, last thing before we cut. It's not even about the going back to Sasha Banks. So sure, right sure. right before we recorded this, a trailer came out for season two of The Mandalorian. I was going to mention that later. And yeah. I yeah. watched it. And I was like, oh, that looks like Sasha Banks. And I was going to I was going to tweet. I was going to, after we recorded, I was going to tweet a screen grab me like, oh, it looks like Sasha Banks is in the, in the Mandalorian. Turns out that it's actually her. I didn't yeah, I it did is, not yeah. realize she was going to be in the show. So Sasha Banks is in the trailer for The Mandalorian. Not sure how big of a role she plays in the show, but to, to make an appearance in the trailer uh, is pretty cool. And she looked great. And uh, yeah, that, that, that must have been pretty cool for her. If memory serves from like reading the reports back in the day, I believe she's a recurring character this season. But I don't know. I don't know if it's a big role or not, but I believe she's on more than one. Is that a it's episodic, right? Yes. So I believe she's on more than one episode. So that's cool. You're going to need to get into Star Wars here to figure this out. Nope, not happening. We're going to start reviewing it. My interest in Star Wars. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Something that was not zero point zero was Raw Underground. Yeah, I'm saying it. Raw Underground was hot freaking fire. You had Dolph Ziggler kicking a dude's ass right at the beginning. Then Ziggler and Riddick Moss really go at it in what was probably the best fight so far in Raw Underground. Braun Strowman comes in. I mean, you saw him at the beginning demanding entry, but he comes in, tears both of them apart, beats the crap out of a ton of other guys. Titus O'Neil runs in. It was funny. He like tries to go into Raw, Raw Underground the the bodyguard, the door guard or whatever, the doorman. He's like, hold on a second. And Titus is like, I want to go in. And he's like, okay. So he's like, what are you doing there? If all someone has to say is I want to fight, right? But okay, whatever. So Titus O'Neil runs in, form tackles Braun Strowman, Ooh. takes him off his freaking feet. That's a Florida Gator right there. That's SEC tackling. Um, then he gets his ass kicked. That's fine. Riddick Moss and Ziggler then go after Braun Strowman again. Strowman like punches, knocks the hell, the lights out of... Riddick Moss does an awesome running power slam into Dolph Ziggler. And then we conclude with Braun Strowman and Daba Kato squaring off, eyeing each other off with a fight set for next week. I'm just being honest. This really had me jacked up. I cannot believe I loved, not liked, not was okay with, loved a raw underground segment. All I want is meat, and Braun Strowman has the meat. That does not sound good. I, I I love to see you coming around on this. I wrote in my notes. It's gotten in, better. In all caps, I wrote in my notes when we saw Davicato and Braun face to face. I wrote big meaty men slapping meat next week. I'm excited. Play that drop. I want to hear it. Big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> I, I, this, this is what I've wanted. We're, we're, we get it periodically, but this is what Raw Underground needs to be. Where guys who are just pissed off and want to just brawl go into this room and just start brawling with each other and letting their anger out. Because that's what Braun wanted to do. Braun's pissed off about what's going on the past few weeks. He's just like, I'm showing up to Raw Underground and I'm just going to start trying to, to to whip some ass. And I I, I love Shane in there. I, Shane, he's just he's being the Dana White type character. He's into it. 
it was a great episode. I love seeing people with different backgrounds. Titus O'Neil's got that football background. He can use that here. Dolph Ziggler's got that amateur wrestling background. He can use that here. You don't have to worry about what a guy's work rate is. Give me two minutes of just brawling and and sprinkle that in through the final hour of the show. Uh, just keeps guys a little bit interesting and hot and fresh. And that's all Raw Underground needs to be. It doesn't need to be a huge thing. It's just a, for a minute, you step back and do something a little bit different every once in a while. And really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, this is working surprisingly. Like, man, if you told me a month and a half ago I would be praising Retribution and Raw Underground <laughs> on the same episode and praising Raw up and down, really. I mean, there are some criticisms and we'll get to them momentarily. But... Damn, this was good. And yeah, we saw it also with Kevin Owens and Aleister Black, the fight, the fact that they got to fight each other in a brutal sense. And you don't really have a winner. You don't need a winner necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's just brutal beatdowns. And I kind of wished that Lashley and Eric, when they fought on the show, especially since the match was only like 45 seconds, I thought that should have been in Raw Underground too. It didn't make any sense for it to be in the ring. So yeah, man, like I'm in. Like, I'm not just in the Hurt business. I'm in the Raw Underground business. Yeah, it's just a, it's a spot where, where people are just going to take out their anger uh, on something. And I like that, yeah, that Kevin Owens and, and Aleister Black started with that. It's not like we're building up to a match. It's like, what's going on here? Oh, you're upset. Let's have this out on Raw Underground and then figure and then figure out where we are as friends after this. Like, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's a sprinkle it in here and there to make things a little bit different, a little bit fresh because three hours is a long show. And, and and that's all it that's all it needs to be. It it legitimately this week made the third hour interesting. Now yeah. now I think it will next week too with Dabakato, and I wonder if Doorman kind of gets involved. The big ninja, same guy. Yeah. I wonder if like Braun beats Dabakato, and then the door opens and he walks in, and you're like, oh my god, we got to come back next week as well. So I'm in. Like let's do this. And the other thing it's accomplishing, it's taking people out of the catering business. We in the hurt business, man. You, you in the catering business. You're not seeing Riddick Moss. You're not seeing some of these other guys. Maybe Ziggler doesn't get a segment on the show. And you know what? Before we continue, we should also say both MVP and Dolph Ziggler did a incredible job on commentary. Yeah, I thought they were pretty good. I mean, I, I don't think they were to the level of what Jericho is for AEW, but they were solid. It was a good change of pace. I like that they also had a couple different people do it throughout the show um, as well. It just, it made it feel a little bit fresher and uh, it was a welcome change for a week. My power rankings of those guys would go Samoa Joe one. Um, yes. MVP two, Chris Jericho three, oh. Dolph Ziggler four. And the reason I say that is because half of the time Jericho's on there, he's being whiny heel as opposed to actual color commentator. When he does that, He's great. He's number two to Samoa Joe. But there's many times where he's only on there for storyline, yet he's still on there for an hour. And when he's just complaining and bitching about every face. And it's really grating on me when he does that. I, I, I got no problem with that. I'd probably, I'd probably do Jericho Joe MVP. Dolph. You're putting, but, you're but putting Jericho over Samoa Joe? I, I would. Just every time Jericho's on it, doing commentary on AEW, I'm just, I can't turn away. I, I, I get that it's, I totally get why you it's grating to you sometimes, but it's just, it, it's fine for me, maybe because I'm not expecting as much uh, just from from uh, something else. So yeah, I, I, I really, really like the way Jericho does it because yeah. it, it's a mix between he's always trying to 
put someone over or advance some sort of storyline that he's a part of. Not, nothing, nothing feels wasted, even if it is a, can get a bit annoying sometimes. Zero. That's a joke. Jericho over Samojo. Samojo is by far the best. All right. Raw Women's Championship. We had Asuka defend successfully, kind of, against Mickey James. I was not particularly excited for this match. Mickey's promo that it might be her final opportunity at the WWE title, that at least provided some perspective, so it gave me some intrigue into it. The match was sloppy. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to crap on Mickey. She's, she's kind of done, I think. And it, it just wasn't great. The finish was absolutely confusing as well. I don't think it was booked for the referee to just stop the match. And both Mickey and Asuka seemed confused that he did. On social media late last night, I saw some reports that the referee thought Mickey James' shoulder had popped out. So therefore, he called it as a submission and just basically ended the match. But it was clear it didn't. Mickey has had shoulder injuries in the past, but she clearly didn't tell him to stop and clearly wasn't hurt. It's tough being a referee because sometimes you have to save performers from themselves. So Mickey could have been hurt and screaming, and he may have thought that it was real as opposed to kayfabe. So he thought he he made the right decision. Um, but clearly she was fine. And I don't know what the finish would have been. I think Asuka eventually would have hit the Asuka lock and just tapped her out. But we don't know. So that was weird. Uh, we'll combine this with another segment. Earlier, we had Andrade and Angel Garza brawl backstage. And we all knew this was coming, right? We knew eventually they were going to split. It was smart that they had Garza pretending to listen to Lana while flirting with her. Them brawling was fine. This lead led, I should say, to Zelina Vega coming out, being fed up with both of them. And then after the women's match, she comes to the ring to announce that she is going back to wrestling instead of managing and challenging Asuka right off the bat for the Raw Women's Championship. That's a good move because the women's division needs fresh faces. But my normal criticism here, just as it would be with anyone else, Zelina Vega walking right in. She's beaten no one. She loses every time she wrestles. And now she's getting a Raw Women's Championship match, presumably at a pay-per-view. Yeah, going back to the Mickey James thing, I rewound it. it when she rolled over, I thought you could see on, on the far side, away from the camera, that it looked like she like tapped twice, possibly. Um, and... and, I, and but clearly that wasn't the way things were supposed to happen, whatever it did. I couldn't help but think uh, of the Matt Hardy situation just a couple a week prior that, that here's a ref stopping a match because they think someone's hurt uh, compared to what we didn't get from AEW a week ago. And right. I, I'm, I, I'm not saying I'm not that I think it was booked that way, but I couldn't help but wonder if maybe referees like felt they needed to be a little bit more careful in, in, in certain situations uh, when that happened. So unfortunate that, that ended the way it did. Glad she seems to be okay, um, at least. Uh, and and then yeah, Selena Vega. It's good to get another fresh face, fresh face in there. But yeah, it makes no sense. They they're really kind of lost right now, figuring out challengers for Oscar um, after after this whole Bailey thing. It, you know, we we spent a couple weeks building up Lana and Natalia, I guess, just to get to Mickey James, and that now to move past Mickey James pretty quickly. So it's. Kind of not really going anywhere. And not even to move past her to put Natalia in the position. Like, yeah. if Natalia's music had hit and distracted Mickey, and I know that's trite and we get that all the time, but yeah, and look, you're right. I, I'm never going to fault a referee for being careful, right? It would be truly hypocritical to say that. So the referee, in my opinion, did nothing wrong here. It's just while we're looking back at it, we're saying, oh, you know what? 
probably shouldn't have been stopped. She ended up being fine, but better safe than sorry. That's always how it goes. The other thing I'll say, um, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. Uh, we're very respectful on this show, right? I gotta say though, like, holy shit, Zelina Vega. She looked insanely great on Monday night. And that is like an all time top uh, that I've ever seen anyone wear. Let me just do a little Keith Lee. That's the most action I've had all year. Just a lot of credit to Zelina Vega. She looked like a star on Monday night. Um, moving on, Street Profits, champions, defeat Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, champions in a champions versus champions match. This was fun. Uh, it was great to see the Street Profits get a real tag team for opponents and simultaneously wrestle a long match. The European <laughs> uppercut was Cesaro throwing Montez Ford basically into the Thunderdome was insane. This was a ton of fun from the start. And I really liked that Angelo Dawkins for a change was the one that hit their finisher, the cash out with the frog splash. That was really cool. And Michael Cole noted, and I overlooked it, but shout out to Angelo Dawkins because he's recently lost a good amount of weight. It's totally noticeable. I don't know how I didn't notice it before Michael Cole said it, but he looks great. He is faster. He moves better in the ring and kudos to him because it takes a lot of work and effort to do that. I did not expect the clean finish here. So now I'm curious what the booking is going to be like because, dude, we saw on SmackDown that Lucha House Party beat Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. That was meaningless, of course, and it was just to promote the champions versus champions match. But now you have the SmackDown Tag Team Champions losing twice on consecutive shows. So I didn't expect that to happen when they did this. And now I sit back and wonder, are they really going to unify unify these titles in a couple of weeks at Clash of Champions? Or was this just a booking to promote the Raw, first Raw, going head-to-head with Monday Night Football? I, I think, well, that, that's a good that's a good question on the Monday Night Football. I, I think they have to, we talked about this last week, I think, think they have to unify the belts. It just, it further emphasizes how there's just not, many tag teams and now the Viking Raiders have an injury and then and, and Jey Uso is doing his thing. So there's not really, there's just not enough tag teams. And, and I was very, very annoyed on SmackDown to have the champions lose via distraction roll up. <laughs> like just the, the worst of all the WWE tropes that they do in terms of how to defeat a champion or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So Especially like, if they're going to lose a couple days later. Yes. So we've seen them now lose twice. And I, I don't know. I, I think this has to lead. Maybe, you know, maybe they offer to put their titles on the line for in order to get a rematch. And that's how we get there. I, I think that would make sense. Uh, but I, I think we got to unify these. It was, yes, great to see the Street Profits in an actual match with people who can work with them well. That European uppercut. Tomatis says forward. Uh, that should have ended the match. I, I was actually <laughs> disappointed it didn't. That was too amazing of a spot not to end a match. But I know you, you want the Street Profits to win. Um, I would love to see these guys wrestle a couple more times. Uh, not too long as these feuds often are. But I'd love to see one or two more matches with these guys. And a unification match at Class of Champions. I mean, maybe the booking can be as simple as the Street Profits being the ones to go over to SmackDown this week and kind of say... Look, we beat you. We beat you. You're champions. We want those titles as well. It doesn't have to be the heels making the challenge all the time, you know? So maybe that's all they're doing. And if that's the case, now that there's a victor in this match, that's great. But I I just kind of thought they could have done that on Monday. Like, 
as they're walking out all battered and whatever, Montez Ford grabs the mic, Angelo Dawkins grabs the mic, makes the challenge. But I'm okay with them dragging it out. We do have a couple of weeks until Clash of Champions. And if that's what happens, that's fine. But if it doesn't, and they've repeated numerous times, every title must be defended at the show. Man, who the hell is challenging for these titles? I mean, I guess you could have Lucha House Party face Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. But who the hell is fighting the Street Profits? Like the Viking yeah. Raiders, Ivar's out. Yep. Andrade and Angel Garza just broke up and they don't have a manager. Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio, they're not really a tag team, but whatever. Rollins and Murphy, they're not really a tag team, but they're kind of broken up. Like who who's left on Raw? What tag team is left on Raw right now? Honestly, could not tell you off the top of my head. Maybe I'll like look at it while you're answering a different question, but I, I don't think there's a tag team left. And it's crazy. It's just crazy to me. So yeah. Um the great match, great representation of what's possible in the WWE tag team division, but very disappointed that there's basically no one there. Moving back to SmackDown, AJ Styles beat Jeff Hardy via disqualification. Uh, it was a title match, but title did not change hands. This was simultaneously nothing special and a perfectly acceptable storyline, the type that we've seen so many times before in WWE. It was too early to do Hardy Styles as a rematch anyway, so ending this with Sami Zayn interfering as he continues to stake a claim to the title that he never lost is perfectly fine. It's clear we're getting a triple threat match to Clash of Champions anyway. I hope it's a ladder match, uh, you know, with the titles up, just like kind of Razor Ramon HBK. Uh, obviously, this would be three, but I love when they do that, when they have someone who never vacated a title or someone claiming to be champion and another person as the actual champion. As far as the quick angle later in the show with Hardy not suffering a concussion, but just being dehydrated, that's a pretty great shot at AEW right there. I say it all the time that AEW's constant digs at WWE are annoying and off-putting, but this was done in a way that did not specifically mention the other company and was quite appropriate considering it was the guy's brother in Jeff Hardy, who by the way announced he has re-signed with WWE. Turnabout in this regard is fair play. And I honestly wouldn't be shocked if it was Jeff's idea, all things considered. So let's not make this shit a regular occurrence on WWE TV. But after the Hall of Fame comment AEW made on Wednesday, the sloppy shop comment and all the other things that they've done, this one for me worked. And anyone who doesn't think it was a shot at AEW is wrong. Yeah, I also wondered if Jeff came up with this because typically WWE is not acknowledging that the others exist outside of NXT AW press conferences, basically. Um, yeah, it, it was finding, you know, there, you've talked plenty about the, the Matt Hardy situation and how that all played out. And I just mentioned it a couple minutes ago with the, with the Mickey James referee stuff. So yeah, it was kind of funny. I mean, it, it's funny because Matt appears to be okay. It was obviously not a funny situation right. at the right. time. And, and yes, right. because this was his brother, you know, I, I'm sure he probably even maybe even told them about it or something like that. It, it's not it's not something where you think they're taking a shot at the guy who might have been concussed just kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, it was not a shot at Matt. It was a shot at AEW. If anything, yeah. it was, hey, you treated him like crap. Like it was like, how yeah. dare you? You know what I mean? Um, what did you think? You know, we didn't you, you weren't on this past Thursday show. So really quick, briefly, what did you think about how they handled the Matt Hardy thing? I don't know if you heard what I said, but go ahead. Uh, are you talking about how they handled it after All Out? Yes, on Dynamite last week. I did not catch all of Dynamite, so 
I could not tell you because I didn't see it. Okay, no problem. Uh, Let's move on. Kevin Owens beats Aleister Black uh, in a regular match, not Raw Underground. Top-notch promo from Owens before the match. Really, he is at his best when he is unscripted and can say whatever the hell he wants. You saw it a couple weeks ago on Raw Talk, and it definitely happened here on Raw, on, uh, I almost said Raw Underground, on Raw In Your Face on Monday night. Um, Black was stalking him backstage, then attacks him before the match. That was good. The match was disappointing, though. And we have Black getting pinned again, even though we are able to use retribution as an excuse, the lights flickering. I would have much preferred Owens taking a Black mask to the face, considering the distraction, rather than Owens hitting Alice Black with a stunner due to the distraction. Give the face something uh, you know, to battle back against here. Give the heel the win and bump up Aleister Black, who is not a former champion, who does not have a lot of momentum. Instead, you basically had Owens beat Black, and I just thought it was kind of a waste. So I really hope they get another match. I don't think it would be on the pay-per-view. Maybe it'll be on the go-home Raw before the pay-per-view as like a featured match. But Aleister Black needs to win this feud, man. And I'm just really concerned he's not going to, and that Owens just is just going to beat him again. You know, when the light flickering and stuff happened, I actually wondered for a minute if Aleister Black was going to be the leader of Retribution or something like that. That would and, be cool, and, too. Yeah, and because and, honestly, I don't really know where he's going with, with, with all this. It's Maybe they have a plan. We've just we've seen him kind of flounder at times uh, before. So I, I think that'd be a cool way to do it if you can. Maybe not. Um, uh, other than that, yeah, it, it was kind of weird, I, I guess. We'll see. This is, you know, this I don't really have a full on reaction to this other than I guess we got to see what they kind of have planned coming up. Yeah, that's fine. On Raw Talk, Alistair Black was actually a guest, took that bandage off his eye and he was wearing a different colored, completely black contact in his right eye. So that was cool. So he has a new look going, mm-hmm. trying to do something a little bit different with him. I'm curious what they end up doing with his entrance, considering he didn't get one on Monday night. We haven't seen one from him in a couple of weeks, I do hope they keep it. The character is really good. The problem is Paul Heyman never actually executed right with Aleister Black. He just he kept bringing him along. He built him really strong. He never lost. He never took that next step. And, and he got fired from his executive director post before he was able to do that. And Owens was gone. Now Owens is back. He hasn't been anything since he's come back. So you have two guys in this feud who both need a win. Owens needs to kind of get built up, especially if Randy Orton ends up becoming WWE champion. Owens is a perfect foil for him for a feud. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have Aleister Black, who really hasn't gone anywhere, yet also hasn't been booked poorly. People are saying he's getting buried. No, he's not. But he's just in this weird, uh, what's the thing called? Uh, not heaven, not hell. Purgatory. Purgatory, thank you. He's in this weird purgatory right now. And they need to get him out of it. So that's my thoughts on it. Let's keep going. Nikki Cross beat Tamina in a fatal four-way match with Lacey Evans and Alexa Bliss to become the number one contender for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Man, this was really interesting booking for me. Uh, You had Bailey attack Cross before the bell. That was smart booking because Cross has given her the most trouble as a challenger during her reign. So clearly she would not want her to win. Then in the match, wow. You have Alexa Bliss dropping Nikki Cross with Sister Abigail and then walking (laughs) away in a trance. That was obviously incredible and it popped me big time. It was especially smart because Bliss's mental state 
did not change until commentary and Michael Cole audibly mentioned The Fiend. She heard that, obviously, because it's an empty arena setting. So she stares them down, Graves and Cole, as she did the sister Abigail. That's just such smart booking that just the mention of the name sends her into another mental type of state. Cross being the one to come out on top, it was pretty obvious that was going to happen after that, but it played out well enough. I have to believe Bliss will interfere at Clash of Champions because Bailey beating Cross clean for a third time really doesn't make a lot of sense. What do you think about all of this? Yeah, and, and you know, the Alexa Bustinki crossing has kind of been oh, hanging by a string for a while, but it plays pretty well. And, and Nikki Cross had a promo afterward. It might have been online only. I just I caught it on the YouTube page uh, where she said, that's not my friend anymore. That's not Alexa Bliss. But also Alexa Bliss is my friend. And, you know, I I, I want to try to help her. So it, it, it Nikki Cross has been great throughout all of this, continues to be a, a, a great promo. And she's in this weird spot now where she's got this title match, but she also is worried about her friend and trying to figure it out. So she's got a lot going on. And I, I think it's been a really interesting dynamic. And yeah, because we've seen Bailey dominate everybody time and time again, you have to imagine they're going to do something different when this comes up. So I, I, I'm curious to see where it'll go. I hope they do. And the Alexa Bliss stuff is great. But as she continues to almost transition into this character, I do hope that we get her with Bray Wyatt and with the Firefly Funhouse again, because I think we will, because that makes sense. I don't just want her to do this on her own and have some of the same mannerisms as Bray, because eventually it's going to need to stop. So they're going to need to find someone to almost break her out of it. Maybe it's Nikki. Maybe it's Braun coming back one day. I don't know, but they do need to involve her with the Fiend. It doesn't need to be now, but it just needs to be in the plans. The other oh, thought I, I, I'm, I'm sure it is. I, I don't think this is a side Especially since they're on the same show. I can't imagine they're not going to I hope get them together at some point. And she did the Sister Abigail. So it's not like she's just acting weird. Yeah. She's doing things that are Bray related. And she has the, the cornrows in her hair as well. Not the cornrows, the braids, I should say, in her hair. Um, so it is going in that direction. The other thought that I did have coming out of this match is that Naomi and Mandy Rose were conspicuous by their absences. Naomi has obviously been getting a lot more TV time ever since that kind of online hashtag started trending. And Mandy was certainly deserving of a title opportunity considering she beat her best friend in a loser leaves town match at a pay-per-view. But we'll talk about her a bit later. I have to guess from a booking standpoint, they didn't want to create a situation where either of them, but particularly Naomi, lost unnecessarily. Yes, it's based on how the match was booked. It seemed pretty clear this is supposed to be an Alexa Nikki Cross type of thing. So maybe don't throw Naomi out there to have her lose again if if it's not going to go anywhere. I, I, yeah. I think that was fine. Yeah. And then we also had and well, this is where we'll get to Mandy. Otis defeats John Morrison. This was a nothing match. And Otis basically ran through Morrison, which was a bit of a shocker to me. Um, Miz stole his lunchbox. I think Otis's Vader bomb as a finisher is better. I think I said that last week, but if I'm repeating myself, whatever, I did come up with a name. They should call it the full slab. I think it's a really <laughs> good, really good name for the finisher. I like it. I like it. Um, I'll admit that while many may find the lunch pail gag to be stupid, I don't know. It hits me right. I happen to like it. And then coming out of this, we learned on Talking Smack that the Miz somehow forced Mandy Rose 
to be traded to Raw convinced USA Network executives because of his show, Cannonball, I think it's called, um, that they needed to have Mandy Rose on Raw. So now she's separated from Otis. This obviously makes zero sense in terms of an overall roster decision for WWE. But in kayfabe, it's a unique, unique piece of booking, and I just hope it's not permanent. Yeah, I hope they don't just kind of drop the Otis Mandy stuff here. I, 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 um, I obviously that hadn't really gone anywhere in a while. Maybe, maybe they didn't want to do a big breakup or something like that. Maybe they are dropping it, but we are going to need, you know, some some more explanation other than a talking smack segment where Miz explains it. Um, but in kayfabe, I thought that made sense because he does have that show on Cannibal. It's a great cross promotion <laughs> way to yeah. keep it in kayfabe. Yeah. So I, I was fine with that. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I was, I was laughing again at the, at the lunchbox stuff that they stole the lunchbox and now Miz is the one who thinks that they have the contract and they, he knows a lawyer so they can figure out a loophole. And the Morrison's like, I thought you told me we can't do this. So they kind of flip flopped it from last week. Mm-hmm. Morrison's. Morrison's comedy, I, I still think it's really funny. And then it turns out it's not that they have a they had a lunchbox in the briefcase still has a contract. It's a funny little gag. I'm enjoying it every week. You know, it's just like a little thing. But yeah, it, it, the, the bigger picture now is the Mandy's story. He, <laughs> that's a pretty big deal that yeah. Miz may have just tried to break him up. I know, I guess technically we're in Orlando the whole time. I don't know if in kayfabe that matters because it's just showing up on the show. It doesn't mean they can't hang out together or anything. But I. I this has been perfectly fine. I guess if you want to talk about tag teams, there are two tag teams that are, that are doing something that aren't titles. But um, this yeah, has but been, that's on yeah, but that's on SmackDown. Sure, I'm I'm just saying tag teams in general. On, oh on the yeah, whole roster. But you know, I I've I've enjoyed this the last couple of weeks. I think Morrison's funny. Uh, uh, the, the heavy heavy machinery is funny. Miz is kind of doing his thing. This has been working for me. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. It, it's I don't necessarily love comedy you know where where when it involves people of importance losing so like morrison getting squashed by otis not great but at the same time he is the money in the bank champion or or contract holder and he does need wins so it's like who you can have him beat you can't have him only beat tomato cans right i just kind of wish the match was like 12 minutes as opposed to five you know what i'm saying yep me too okay so uh we also had the riot squad defeat natalia and lana this was a squash as it should have been. And then in the post-match, you have Nia Jax grabbing Lana, wrapping her around her shoulders, and Samoan dropping her through a table, not just the table, the announcing table. That was absolutely brutal, dude. That was a damn good spot. I heard people saying online that this may have been retribution, no pun intended, for Miro going to AEW and saying the brass ring comment. I don't think that was the case. The only thing it might be is if WWE perhaps decided to release Lana because Miro is in AEW and they don't need or want her on the show anymore. And if that's the case, maybe the Samoan drop through a table for someone like Lana would be enough to write her off. But I didn't really take anything into it other than that. I don't think it was pettiness in any way. And people who think that I just think are getting kind of getting a little bit into the weeds in terms of yeah. rivalries and wrestling and stuff. Like I mean, look, we had John Moxley calling out WWE and, and nothing happened to Renee Young. And it's not like, right. I, I don't think there's going to be, 
I, I guess retribution is maybe the word, but it's the yeah, right I, word. I, it is the right word. <laughs> it's I, I, I'm not I'm not going to buy into any of that stuff right now. All righty. And uh, last but not least, we had another sexy lady vignette uh, definitely gave away this week that it was a repackaging for Carmella. And that's fine. I don't. Oh, mind. that wasn't my guess. I don't know who it is. I, I thought it was um, um, Maurice. Just it looked like her. But I guess oh. Carmella would make sense. I don't know. Oh, I mean, it, it I was Carmella. Like, OK, I see. I, now I'm disappointed because now I got spoiled. But see, I, I try. No, I, I'm like, not even spoiling it. I don't know that it's her. I'm, I'm telling you what I 100 percent believe from looking at it. OK, maybe. I mean, my, my thoughts, the, the, the blonde hair and everything, maybe it's a new look for Carmella. But my first thought was Maurice. Uh, but yeah, I want to make it I want to make it clear to everyone. I would give a spoiler alert if I was spoiling. I do not know that that's Carmella. It like I don't know, like. I didn't read a dirt sheet and someone say that is Carmella, but my eyes tell me it's Carmella. Like it just everything about her, the scar, just the, the way she, she looked body wise. I'm not trying to, you know, get, get there, but, um, it just told me it's Carmella. <laughs> so that's all I can say. Um, I had been wondering where the hell she had been recently. So the fact that I believe it to be her amps up the anticipation for what she's going to be like when she gets there, it kind of looked like a bit of, Carmelina a little bit um, if you want Emelina Carmelina and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily you know she looks damn good and and that's a perfectly fine gimmick uh, I guess I'm not the only one to think that it was Carmela because we did have a DM slide from Nick Flynn at n underscore Flynn 17 are you guys of the opinion that Carmela needed a repackaging or did does her current character still have more gas left in the tank to continue. Uh, why don't we start there? I think he has a second question. So let's let's answer that one first. What do you think? I don't think the character needed any repackaging. She just, she had no story. Basically, since Money in the Bank, we'd barely seen her. Um, I, I thought her character was perfectly fine. It fit her, it always seemed to fit her personality. Um, I don't know if, I don't think a character reboot is necessarily going to mean anything unless it comes with, an actual story for her because she just she hasn't had anything for the past few months. So um, I, I, I had no problem with with where her character was. What about you? Well, I think that when she first debuted and obviously she was supposed to. Well, she was originally in NXT with Enzo and Big Cass. Yeah. She debuts with that gimmick, but then never really teams up with them on screen. They they're gone. So now she's the one left with it. I'm fine with it. She's not really from Staten Island. She's from Massachusetts. Uh, she told me that in an interview a couple of years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so this is all truly a gimmick. It's not even like herself turned up to 12. It it really was just a gimmick to fit with Enzo and Cass. Princess of Staten Island is a fine gimmick, but I think when she got that run as a comedy face with R-Truth, that was Carmella being refreshed. That worked very well. They were awesome together. Once they removed R-Truth, they didn't really do anything with her. Like she just... Yeah, was kind of left without any motivation or any storyline. So now you're like, okay, it's time to bring Carmella back and use her again. I don't mind them repackaging her. And she's beautiful. So doing a gimmick in which it's based maybe on beauty or looks is not a bad thing, particularly if Mandy Rose is going to wind up on Raw more permanently, or this is true. This is what's actually happening. Maybe they are going to do a draft and they're going to move heavy machinery over to Raw to fill in that tag team gap. So 
yeah, I, I am okay with it. And you know what? I do think it was necessary, but I don't just want the gimmick to be Carmella is beautiful. Yeah. Like, yep. It needs to be, I don't, I don't know how you do something beyond that, but look, they've done, they fooled us before, right? They did Funkasaurus where you think Brodus Clay is going to come in as this guy who's going to beat the shit out of people. And he's a dinosaur, a dancing dinosaur, right? I mean, not really a dinosaur, not the way Luchasaurus is, but that's basically what the gimmick was. So they've swerved before and maybe this will be a swerve again, or maybe it will be her as a beautiful woman, but there's another layer to it. I don't know, but I think she needed it. So because of that, I'm okay with it. She, she, she's really good when she's paired up with somebody, whether it's our uh, truth or um, shoot, what's that guy's name who, who actually won the money in the bank uh, the first time with her. Uh, oh, James Ellsworth. Yeah, James Ellsworth. She, she's good in those roles when she's really like has someone to play off of a lot. So I, I don't know if that's any of that's in the plans. But yeah, it can't just be Carmella got a makeover. Now we take it seriously. No, it, it only matters is if there's a story for her character. And th- that's been the problem for the last few months. And a a a redesign isn't going to change, isn't going to fix that. So we'll, we'll see if it is her, I guess, throughout this whole thing. I still thought it looked like Maurice. Then we'll see what comes with it. So Nick Flynn also asked who else in the women's division is in desperate need of a refreshed character or repackaging. So uh, one of the answers for me would have been Mandy Rose, but she kind of got that by way of her hair getting cut. She still doesn't have a gimmick other than being God's greatest gift. And maybe that's what it'll continue to be on Raw, or maybe they will repackage her. Um, I think probably Peyton Royce needs something, right? Because she's her gimmick was being best friends with Billy Kay and now she's not. So we don't have anything there. By the way, that's someone else they could have given a title match instead of Zelina Vega. They could have just put Peyton Royce in the title match, but they didn't. Um, over on SmackDown, I, I, I like Naomi's gimmick. A lot of people think it's tired. So maybe you can repackage Naomi a little bit. But the number one answer on the list with a bullet point is Lacey Evans. Yep, that was, um, was going to be mine. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. No, but, no, you're good, you're good. But her debuting as the sexy Southern Belle from the jump didn't work for me. She's not a good face. She is a good heel. She's a better heel. The 60s pinup, um, just go do it for the troops, boys, or whatever that gimmick was. You know, I don't even know because I wasn't born then, luckily. Um, the whole stuff, I'm glad she's a veteran and like it's a cool part of her gimmick. And when she is a face, if they want to play it up, that's awesome. But you can't simultaneously be the sexy Southern Belle who is nice and sometimes mean in other times, but also a veteran, so you should like her, and a mother, so you should like her, but she's fighting for her kid, so she's going to be a heel. It's just way too convoluted. They need to send Lacey Evans back to NXT. They need to figure out something else to do with her and then bring her back, but this entire incarnation of her does not work for me. Yeah, I thought the sexy Southern Belle gimmick was fine. It's just it morphed into so many different things, like you said. And then she was a face, and she's absolutely not a face. No. I think she's a pretty good heel. I thought it when, when, when it was her and Corbin together for that little bit, I thought that was good. I, I do think she's a good heel in the style of a Corbin. She's not the worker Corbin is, but I, I thought that worked. But with, with a lot of these, it's, it's not necessarily even a repackaging. It's just like, what has Lacey done over the last few months she had that she she had the karaoke thing 
with, debacle. With it's called it's called a debacle. Yeah, and then that was gonna start a feud, and then the feud just ended, and there's just there's not much going on with the women on SmackDown, and part of that's because it's a shorter show. But uh, you know, Carmella was there. Um, they just they're not they're not really doing anything. It's not that they need a a lot of them need a repackaging. It's just they need a package. They need something to do. Right. That's true. It's not so much the gimmicks. It's more the storylines. They need more storylines. But look, they've been using the women well, largely, all things considered. And maybe uh, maybe with Carmella coming in with this new type of gimmick, maybe that'll refresh some stuff. With Zelina Vega certainly on Raw. Peyton Royce is now a single. We don't know what's happening with Billy Kay. Sonya Deville was in the midst of a huge run, like where she was getting over awesomely. Now she's out for an extended period of time. So the women's division is getting shaken up, but there are at least women. And there's a lot of people competing and that I want to see on television. And there's a lot of talented women on, on that. And roster. a lot of, yeah, and a lot of a talented. A lot of people, yeah. And the same cannot be said for the Raw Tag Team division, because while you were talking, I did check. As of right now, as of this taping, there are zero established, legitimate tag teams on Raw with the exception of the champions, the Street Profits, and also active. So like, Yes, the Viking Raiders are there, but one of them is hurt. The only thing you could stretch and say is Akira Tozawa and a ninja, maybe, <laughs> or, or Apollo Crews and Ricochet, maybe, even though they're not a tag team, or two of the members of the Hurt Business. But the truth is, as of right now on Raw, there are zero tag teams besides the Street Profits. That is absurd. 0. 0.0. I, I, want the, I want the Hurt Business... To get the tag team belts. I, I think it would look great. I love when a faction has a lot of gold. Um, I really do enjoy the Street Profits and what they're doing. But, but you know, if, if they wanted to maybe send the Street Profits over, I, I, I don't know. I don't really know how you could do it. Like you said, I, I still think they need to unify the belts. But if you don't, I'd love one of those belts to be on the Hurt Business and just let them hang around with belts. Even if even if they're not defended, just, just have some more gold around them. Well, it would work because what you could do theoretically is have Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin win the tag team titles at Clash of Champions. Then you not only have the Street Profits still trying to go after them, but you do have Apollo Crews and Ricochet because they've made it pretty clear that Lashley is going to be defending the United States Championship and does not have a challenger. And could it be Apollo Crews? Would that make sense considering he lost the title? Yeah, but they're trying not to do these rematches and they haven't given Crews a single promo to say he wants to go after his title again. I mean, mm -hmm. they, he, they did immediately after he lost it when he attacked Lashley. But since then, he hasn't said anything about that title. So yes, making Ricochet and Apollo Crews a tag team, making Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin a tag team, all of that would work. But as we stand today on September 15th, 2020, there is one tag team on Raw and it is the champions. And honestly, they don't even have enough tag teams on SmackDown to move over heavy machinery, because if they do, then they only have two there left besides the champions. So man, this tag team picture due to injuries, largely there's three teams out due to injury. The forgotten sons are out due to Jackson Riker's ridiculous tweet. And he just ruined all of their plans. Uh, they've broken up tag teams. They broke up two women's tag teams and the Iconics and Bailey and Sasha Banks. They just, I don't know what they're doing. So yes, please unify these men's titles. I think that's the only option at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I that's a way to do it. But overall, big picture, I, I think it's got to be unified, just like the women's tag belts. 
I agree. Now, that was a long, detailed, and thorough edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, talking every single thing that happened in WWE over the past week. I appreciate all of you listening. Do not forget to follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. You can follow me, the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. But most importantly, do not forget to follow the show at Getting Overcast. And if it is your first time listening, head over to wherever you are listening to this show. Hit the subscribe button and be with us for every episode going forward. Our next show will be this Thursday, where we will break down everything that happened on NXT and AEW as the Wednesday Night Wars commence again with both shows officially back on Wednesday. AEW eclipsed the 1 million mark last week. Now that it's going head to head with NXT, which had been going in the mid 800s for the past couple of weeks, what is going to happen to these ratings? We are not a big time rating show, but it will be curious to see the products put forward on Wednesday night. So for Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. We're going to keep Macho Man on the bench since it has been a long show. I will see you on Thursday. That means I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.